Hello and welcome to the Call Yourself a Fan podcast. My name is Mike and I'll be talking to real football fans about their club. Football is not always trophies and glory. 99% of it is misery, frustration and of course some good laughs along the way. We'll cover embarrassing mascots, disgusting pies, all leading up to that dreaded worst 11 and a little bit of trivia in between. Formed as St. Luke's FC in 1877, this club were one of the founding members of the Football League in 1888. Their most successful era was during the 1950s, where they were English champions three times under the management of Stan Cullis. They've won the FA Cup four times, most recently in 1960, and the League Cup twice in 1974 and 1980. They were the first club to participate in the European Cup and recently returned to Europe this season. They're currently having a lovely little spell in the Premier League, solidifying themselves as a top-half club. Apparently, they were also inspiration for Sam Sparrow's hit, Black and Gold. Believe it or not. <laughs> it is, of course, Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, joining me today is a lifelong Wolves supporter. He's also a lover of non-league and follows Kidderminster Harriers. He's got a Master's in Translation Studies and works as a sponsorship manager in a fitness company. It's Call Yourself a Fan's resident Yam Yang, my good friend, Chris Page. Pagey, how are you, mate? Mike, how are you, mate? Good to speak to you. Um, my voice probably didn't give me away as much of a yam yam, but uh, <laughs> a posh we'll go with yam it. We'll yam. go with it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> posh yam yam. But it's uh, it's funny hearing that, that sort of intro about wolves because it really does remind you how big we once were in terms of like the fifties, sixties, um, mm. and hopefully maybe we're on that way back. But yeah, yeah one, it's always, one day, it's interesting hearing that about your club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, yeah. Maybe if you went back in time, you'd experience that. But um, yeah, how are you getting your football <laughs> fix um, during the pandemic crisis? Then, I mean, obviously, we've had some developments in the last week or so with the Premier League coming back in the seventeenth mm-hmm. of June. Of course, are you excited for that? Do you do you think it's the right thing to do? Um, I am. Um, I'm looking forward to having some football back. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm if a big fan of the. Uh, games behind closed doors I I get they've got to happen but it really is it really is something different to what we're used to and I feel like football without the fans as as you'd expect from a fan podcast is uh it's not quite the same I mean I've I've actually quite enjoyed a bit of a break from it I know Gano last week or uh, would absolutely disagree um and was saying he doesn't understand people who are like that but I think yeah um, I've dug out a few, like the old PlayStation 2 and dug out old school Pro Evo 6 while I've been having like a <laughs> early 2000s throwback at mine. And Excellent. I do listen to other podcasts, obviously sports podcasts and talk sport and all about that ridiculous mm. transfer rumours that are just going to go nowhere at this time. Yeah, um, there's almost no so yeah, point. It's like clinging missed... on to what football once was, wasn't it? Like listening to these transfer rumours yeah. and stuff. I've missed, yeah. I've missed playing more than, uh, than, than actually watching, I'd say, at the moment. No, that's fair enough. Oh, I've tried watching some of the Bundesliga and I I never really watched German football. I mean, I enjoy watching the German um, teams in the uh, Champions League, for mm-hmm. example. I think they're quite exciting clubs, but it, it just doesn't feel like an event at the moment without the fans. It just does feel like that kind of training ground kick around almost. And it... And I think with everything kind of going on with the coronavirus, the amount of deaths and how it's affected so many people... It, it feels insignificant, and I like—I never thought I'd say that because I thought that I would be extremely excited for the Premier League and generally football to return in this country. But I'm kind of thinking maybe it isn't the right thing to do. Yeah, 
I, I can definitely see that train of thought, especially if like once upon a time when they were talking about it and testing wasn't everywhere for people. And it was like, is football going to be really taking tests away from people who need it? Like, is that really mm. what we've come to? Um, yeah. So I think when that was an issue, that was, um, I could see why that was legitimate. I agree with you. Home advantage goes totally out the window now. Um, the only advantage is could be that people have the, like a pitch they're used to playing on if pitches of a slightly different dimension or, or like atmosphere but really in terms of the atmosphere of the ground it's out the window and I think mm. the Bundesliga has shown there's been a number of away wins in the week since it's been back it's a great leveller um, so yeah the integrity of the competition argument is always a good one but it will be interesting yeah. to see if that is affected because because some teams have played each other twice with fans there some have got one game obviously got one game left with, uh, with no mm. fans so it does change the dynamic very much so mm. And, and what about from a personal perspective um, with, with Wolves uh, coming back? Um, are you excited for that at least? Or is it a more of a, an overarching opinion that maybe football, <laughs> the integrity has been questioned and football shouldn't be coming back yet? I'll always be glad to see him playing. I, I, I would always be happy as long as it's safe for everyone to do so. Um, I don't necessarily think that from a Wolves perspective, we can complain about the integrity of the competition too much because it's, uh, again, it's not like we're like in relegation touch wood. Um, mm. But I, I, I think, yeah, I think it's, it's a wider point, though. Is, 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 it just a, is it a money grab or is it, for the, is it actually because um, it's right to be playing football right now? Mm. Um, I would be mm. really looking forward to our European campaign sign up again. I've absolutely loved the European campaign this year. Um, yeah. that's, that, for me, arguably actually more interesting than the Premier League, um, just because it's so novel. But, mm. um, yeah, we'll wait and see what happens. It's, it's very much watch this space, I guess. Yeah. And obviously, you support Kidderminster as well, and mm. they're le- and that's been cancelled. Um, how do you feel about that? So it's a completely different end of the spectrum. So mm. obviously, you've got Wolves in in the, the top tier, um, level one, and you've got Kidderminster in the nation, uh, well, the national north, sorry, mm. Uh, mm. which is obviously the sixth sixth tier, and it's completely different. The season was cancelled within a couple of weeks. Um, there were some really, really difficult stories from down there. So in the division below Kidderminster, there's a team called South Shields who were 12 points clear or nine points clear, season yep. cancelled, start again. And like, they're, mm-hmm. they're fuming. And it's like there's other stories like this all up and down the lands. And I get there's no easy way out of it. But from a Kidderminster perspective, they're actually in a bit of a relega- like issue of relegation flirting with it, shall we say. So to have mm-hmm. the season cancelled was a great relief for everyone because they're already at their lowest step as it is. But um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there's livelihoods on the line. There really are. They're talking about the money of the Premier League, but there's genuinely livelihoods on the line throughout the Football League and the Conference, um, or so the National League, as we have to call it, and the National Leagues North and South and below. There's livelihoods on the line. So it's, it's, a, it's a major thing that I don't think everyone fully understands. Mm. There was an interesting podcast I listened to the other day, which was on the other podcast I feature on occasionally, um, mm-hmm. Actung Millwall. And um, they have this sports mm. lawyer on who's... Um, He's also a Millwall supporter. And um, he was talking about there's some sort of discussion at the moment is whether some Premier League clubs or all 20 of them donate, say, £2 million or X amount mm-hmm. and then donate that evenly across the leagues to to assist with, with that. And it's that age-old argument, isn't it, of where they could have saved Barry if they wanted to, for example. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... But it sounds as though the Premier League just always wants some sort of repayment plan. You know, not just like a, they don't want to just donate. I guess, though, it sets the precedent, doesn't it? If they save Berry, the next club that spends without it, with a way out of its means is going to turn around and say, oh, well, the Premier League will bail us out. So I can see why it's mm. like you can't have things that are too big to fail. Um, so you can't have financial mismanagement that just gets rewarded by a big paycheck from another club. 
So I can see that point. I think in terms of redistributing wealth, it's a very uh, <laughs> political argument in that sense. But in terms mm-hmm. of spreading it out throughout the leagues, I can definitely see the issues. And even then, though, some of the Premier League uh, sides are struggling because they live, they literally spend that entire income they get or they're paying ridiculous wages that people don't know about. Something we'll come mm-hmm. to later on with uh, My Worst Eleven. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very much, even Premier League clubs live hand to mouth or the, the money they get in they need. So if the TV money dries up or there's a face of a rebate, they can't afford it. Not everyone's got rich owners who will bankroll it, which Wolves have at the moment. But Chelsea even, Abramovich is putting less of his money where his mouth is and trying to make the club more um, sustainable in terms of selling assets to generate funds. So it, mm. it does come and go. It, it's not as black and white like that. Let's move on to um, lighter conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so wh- mm-hmm. why do you support Wolves? What, what, where does it all stem from? And, and I'm quite interested to hear if you've always been a Kidderminster fan or this is something you've inherited over the years of being a football supporter. Um, so I, I remember again in your second episode, um, there was Will was sort of saying that he, he had no sort of familial ties. It was more just he, he got into it. But for me, it's very much familial ties. Um, my father was born in Wolverhampton and my family on his side all still reside there. Um, so he took me to my first game in 1998. We don't live too far away from Wolverhampton. We're not, we don't live in Wolves, but we don't live far away. Mm, yeah. Um, and he took me to my first game in 1998 and he always said he wasn't much of a fan. He was like, I just go occasionally and we would go occasionally, but the minute you'd suggest it, tickets were bought, we're going, reading yeah. all the news, all the, all the keeping up to date with everything. So it was very <laughs> much like that. I think, I think it was a few things. It was, the name was quite iconic, the stadium, the shirt colour, even the stories of the history that you open with at the intro. It just grabbed mm. me and I figured, I was always intrigued by why this club that was so famous almost isn't famous anymore and hopefully one day it will get back there. So, although I went in 1998, my first real memories of Wolves and going regularly um, and like remembering players and seasons would be from 2002 onwards when I was 10. Um, so a lot of my stories are based from that point onwards um yeah and Kidderminster well Kidderminster is my local side um so some of my oldest family friends started going and we just went along with them one Saturday back in the late 90s uh, again similar to when I was starting to go to Wolves and I just loved it again it was way cheaper it was way nearer for me so I would just pop there if I couldn't get a ticket to the Wolves and then we, we just kept going and it was I loved the immediacy of it um and just you can get hooked so easily um, and the, the club were on a rise when I was there. They got promoted out of the uh, what was the Vauxhall Conference into uh, nationwide Division Three, as it was known, which uh, during their stay became League Beautiful. Two. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, as like I say, and the two clubs actually have a lot of links. A lot of players have gone alone between the two. Yeah. Um, and I have I'm, I'm pleased to say in my life, I have seen them play each other in the third round of the FA Cup in 2004. Um, at mm. Kidderminster's ground, it was Kidderminster v Wolves. Kidderminster were leading one 0 until the 90th minute, so a famous upset was on the cards. Mm. Until Alex Ray, the Wolves legend, um, scored a last well. minute long ranger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's scored a lot of a links. Last minute long range equaliser. <laughs> mm. Yeah, fantastic. There are plenty of links. Plenty of links. It's it's weird because we were having this conversation the other day about the amount of links between Millwall and Wolves and all of the ex players. But um, who who were you supporting that day? Was it, was it difficult to decide or would you always say class yourself as a Wolves fan first? Wolves. Wolves. Yeah. I, I was a Wolves fan. I was in the Kidderminster end and I, it wasn't in like the proper, I wasn't sitting behind, standing behind the goal, you only stand, but I, was, I wasn't stood there like I normally would be where in amongst it. I was sat um, in, in along the side of the pitch with, so it, mm. it was a bit weird for me when Kidderminster scored because everyone was jumping up around me and I, I did stand up but I was a bit like, 
kind of want Wolves to win here. So when they did equalise, I was quite, I had to restrain like shouting. Although <laughs> the thing is, the nature, of, the nature of Kidderminster is there's so many Wolves fans that live in Kidderminster. So there was quite a few Wolves hats in amongst the Kidderminster fans. It was more of yep. a, it wasn't like a nasty rivalry or anything like that. Um, it was almost just embarrassing for a Premier League side because it was in our 0304 season when we were in the Premier League for a Premier League side to be going out to a League Two um, side away. So, mm. yeah, we, we did rescue it in the end. But I was, I was definitely a Wolves fan. I, I couldn't pretend any otherwise. Um, and I do always claim to be a Wolves fan first with Kidderminster my second team, even if I have seen Kidderminster play probably more times than Wolves. Yeah. No, fair enough. No, that's cool. And you, you find that a bit more with non-league clubs, especially, I suppose, when Kidderminster have dropped down. Mm-hmm. I've been to quite a few games to see St Albans uh, play. And there always seems to be this sort of people will wear their kind of league team's colours sometimes, whether it be a coat with a little Tottenham badge yeah. on or or whatever. And I kind of, there's there's a lot of fans, I think, like you that, you know, who just love football. And if they can't go one week to say Wolves, they'll go and watch a local team such as Kidderminster or whoever in the local area just to get that football fix, I think. I was gonna I was gonna say because there must be some quite key differences supporting a Premier League club and now a non league club. You know, what 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 are some of your your main um the main differences that you kind of notice and I suppose what you like and dislike about both sides would be quite interesting to hear. Um I think the immediacy of the game. Like when I'm at Molyneux, um I'm often either um, in the North Bank or well I I sometimes switch around. I don't have a dedicated seat anymore. I used to have a sort of um, not a season ticket, but it was like a preference scheme where you got the same seats for like 10 to 12 matches a season. So um, I used to always be in the Billy Wright's uh, stand, which is where, if you're thinking Molyneux, it's from where the camera is. So you're below the camera. Um, but it, it's the immediacy. Like I say, you're about six to 10 feet away from the players. You can, even with yeah. 1,000, 1,500 people there, you can hear everything. You can see what's going on. You can see, you can almost see the patterns of play really nicely. And you can almost understand what it's like to be a player because you're at their level. So you understand so much more about the physicality and flow of the game when you see it close up at non-league. You also, it, it's not for the faint-hearted. When you're there in sort of minus five in December, people are putting in some <laughs> uh, t- tasty tackles, shall we say. Tasty yeah, challenges yeah, off, the, like, off the floor. So... Yeah, in some respects, you can almost be, you can sometimes feel prouder of a non-league club because you feel like you're contributing directly to it because you sometimes feel a little bit detached from walls. You go in, I love mm. the experience. Don't get me wrong, I always get a buzz when I'm at Molyneux, but you, you go into like this little ground at, at Agbra, Kidderminster, and you sort of, you get to your seat, you always have the same seat and you can literally see everything. You almost feel quite proud of what the community is trying to build. And it is a pure football experience. There's no VAR. There isn't even a fourth mm. official in the sixth year. Mm. So, yeah, and uh, Kidderminster is known for its football food as well. Its pies are... I'll have to bring you. You have to come up to a Kidderminster and just get a pie. Um, <laughs> I, I will. Well, I went... Pies. I did go all the way to Chesterfield for that pie that time, so I'm sure I can uh, <laughs> come up to Kidderminster, which is significantly closer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting you say that. But what, what about the two atmospheres as well? Because, you know, as a fan, I think we're both passionate supporters and, you know, I'm sure you're not afraid to give it a little shout on the touchline every mm-hmm. now and then. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a bit uneasy doing that at Kidderminster? What, what's it like? Is it quieter there? Or, you know, imagine at Wolves you could shout, an F and blind at the ref whenever you'd like, but would you feel a bit uncomfortable doing that at Kidderminster? So actually, it, it, it goes two ways. So you definitely do have, like in Wolves, there's a, there's a family enclosure and the rest of it is then just like fans. So you could give it and shout it and everyone's the same, like 
sort of same persuasion in the stands. You're not going to get it as much. But at Kidderminster, you are surrounded by a lot more young families and children um, and stuff like that. And also, it's the, the problem I've noticed is it's generally an older crowd at Kidderminster, like now, um, because they're not doing so well. So trying to get young new fans interested is, is harder for the club. Um, but if people bring their children, um, then it is a lot harder to be so passionate and shouting. And also at Wolves and in the Premier League, the segregation between fans is so is sort of so good that you, there's not really going to be that much trouble. Whereas at Kidderminster, there's only a little bit of netting between the fans. And you do see it kicking off, especially if there's a big game. It's less so now because in the National <laughs> League North, um, it's just like a, such a sad thing to say. There's barely any away fans that come. You'll be on a, you watch a Tuesday mm-hmm. night, you might bring six away fans. So yeah. the atmosphere really is affected by that. Whereas in the conference, you used to have Luton, you'd have big teams, mm-hmm. former league sides that would bring a thousand away fans. It was great. Stevenage would bring a thousand fans, and you'd yeah. have a four, three, four thousand fans making a good old, like a, a right old racket. Mm-hmm. So it was the atmosphere has changed, and it is it is different. Um, and you, but you do hear some really bad abuse at Kidderminster, and it, and you can mm-hmm. tell the players and the officials can hear it though. That's the thing. You know they can hear it. Sometimes yeah, the yeah. players give it back, like they. Re- they can hear it. The officials can hear it. <laughs> you can't avoid it. <laughs> that's yeah, class. If, and the standard of officiating, mate, the standard mm. of officiating is horrendous. In the, it, it, honestly, they miss <laughs> the most obvious mistakes. Like I've just never seen anything like it. Like, and you, that does everyone's nutting. Like, everyone just goes mental when you see some of the terrible decisions being taken. And they've got to learn somewhere. But wow, wow. But you even get that in the championship in League One is the standard of officiating is appalling. <laughs> uh, this is probably why they need this technology to kind of come in. I, I was just, while you were talking, they're getting up the um, Conference North table. And um, I suppose that there's no real rivalry. I mean, I suppose is Hereford not too far? Um, I don't know. Yeah, but there's not really a big rival, like Midlands rival in the league, is there? No, so Hereford, Hereford is the one we do because basically they they do bank holiday games for the, the like, ease of travel. Yeah. So we have a double header with Hereford on on Boxing Day and New Year's Day, home and away. Mm-hmm. So that's our local one now. But even then, when Hereford went out of business a few years ago and dropped down yeah. to the ninth tier, they they paid for space at Kidderminster at Agra to put banners protesting against it when the, when Kidderminster's game was televised. So they're quite friendly clubs. Our rival mm-hmm. used to be Worcester City. Worcester City was a bit of a Worcestershire derby. But then again, mm. Worcestershire's not really blessed with football teams. They've got no <laughs> league sides. Kidderminster is still no. its highest side. So mm. it's not exactly um, a footballing metropolis here. But we're not far from the Midlands for things like Wolves, West Brom, Blues. Yep. Um, and it, that's where you, the rivalries extend out into here for those. But Kidderminster, no, not really. Wolves' mm. rivalries are far more passionate. Um, and I guess a few stories around that, which I'll get on to. <laughs> Um, let's move back to Wolves as well, because, you know, yeah. the the teams had quite some great success after being promoted back to the Premier League recently. Mm. Um, and it looks like just due to the investment that they've had, they're going to stay there for, for the long term, okay. you, would, you would hope for yourself anyway. Um, how, how do you feel about that? Because they've had a topsy-turvy time during your time supporting the club. Are you happy to be back at success or do you perhaps you know, miss those kind of championship scraps? Um, no, I do not miss the championship scrap. <laughs> I, I, I've watched us. I watched us have one be one of the only teams in history to have a double relegation from the Premier League to League One. Obviously, followed by Sunderland shortly after. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, I absolutely love seeing it like this. The highest I've ever been in my lifetime. Like I say, it makes me extremely proud. And for a Wolves fan like myself, who grew up on the failures of the '90s and the 2000s, I remember like our horrendous 2001-2002 season. There's a famous banner: "We lose in the play." We were 11 points clear in second at one point. 
we blow it, we blow it, finish third, losing the playoffs to a Norwich side who were who'd finished something like 15 points behind us or something. And there was a huge banner held up saying, you've let us down again. Um, <laughs> so like those old days, I do not miss. Um, and so like I said, going into games now, expecting us to play a good standard of football um, mm. and essentially be, be with a shout of winning is so unusual and I love it. Um, I still think mm. we need another two seasons of top 10 finishes before you can call it cemented as a PL club, even though we are in Europe, because it can go quite quickly on the slide if we don't get it right. But to see us even as a, even in the time we've had as a force to be reckoned with uh, compared to where we once were and where we, for most of my lifetime, where we have been. Um, mm. Yeah. It's really good to see. Yeah. And um, yeah. And you hope Nuno stays for the long term as, as well. I mean, it's been touted. Oh, yeah. Maybe someone might pip him. Do you think he's quite interested in staying with Wolves for as long as he can? Or do you feel that someone might grab him in the future? He's done such a good job. Well, do you remember, do you remember Arsenal flirted with him a little yes, bit like yes, before they yeah. appointed Arteta? And there was a real worry that he would go. But mm. then weirdly, and I know um, like Maynard and some of your Arsenal listeners won't thank me for this, but at the time we were above Arsenal in the table. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. There was actually more, more chance stable. of us finishing in yeah. Europe than Arsenal. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And he was, he, was, he was loved by fans. He is literally adored by the fans. And so the expectations are off. There's some expectations, but they're off. Like everything he does is we've never been before. Whereas with Arsenal, he'd be expected to get a top four, top six finish. Whereas with the Wolves, if we finish 10th this year, people would say, you know what? We've had a campaign in Europe. You can't really complain. So mm. he has less pressure at Wolves and he's got the, all the funds in the world he would need. And he, he can build a real project here. So I think mm. there's definite chance of him going if the right offer came along. I think we'd be stupid and naive not to say that, but he is so adored. And everything he's done has, t- t- has touched has turned to gold. Excuse the pun. Mm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, he. Uh, I, I I do fear he might go, but I don't think it would be. It wouldn't be for the right, the wrong club. I think it would be for someone big, mm. and hopefully get his successor ready as well, because he is so yeah. crucial to our system. Without him, we are nothing. Mm. He shows no sign of um, slowing down. It's just success after success. You know, maybe I think will be the the challenge for him is when he might go on a sort of run again. Well, to be fair, though, like, thinking mm-hmm. aloud at the start of this season was a pretty mm-hmm. dreadful start and then sort of pulled it out, didn't he? So I suppose he's, he has kind of gone through a semi-difficult patch. Um, but that would be the case. It, it gets to a point where I always remember it, kind of Charlton sacking Alan Curvishly because they weren't happy with finishing eighth and look what happened to them. You know, that, that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's how, how, um, how far can kind of the club go and, you know, would you just be happy with finishing in the top half for a, for a few years or I mean what do you think um I would if you think we'd be languishing in the championship for most of my life to take a very consistent top half finishes playing a good style of football as well it's not like we're playing a terrible style of football even then look at Stoke they sacked Pulis like they had enough and yeah I get you want to you want to have a style of football that's supposedly attractive but what's the alternative playing terrible football at the bottom of the championship because you you had like grand uh, notions of where you think you should be so yeah i love no i i'm i would i'm you can't do no you can do no wrong in my eyes um, i think he's he's been a brilliant manager for us and he is genuinely a revolutionary in how he's trying to get us to play um, i've never i'd never seen anything like wolves playing the way they have um, i've never seen anything like it when i first went to watch mm. a nuno side i was so impressed i'm just like the rebirth of some of those players who were average championship journeymen who found mm. a new position and have become seemingly top class uh, top half premier league footballers which is which is insane so that is a a testament to his work 
let's talk about clubs that you hate. So you have got to briefly mention this early because you've got a little selection being in the Midlands. Um, are they all equally hated or is, do you have maybe a top three <laughs> that, that uh, you, you can order them in? Um, I have to say West Brom um, yeah. or should I say Samwell Town, as everyone knows them, uh, <laughs> the Tesco carrier bags. No, um, <laughs> I, have, I have to say West Brom because they're, they're only sort of eight miles, seven miles away from Wolverhampton. They are our vicious rivals, the Black Country Derby um and yeah there is a rivalry there but to be perfectly honest from my from my own perspective in my lifetime West Brom generally have been have been in the Premier League while we were in the championship I remember they thrashed us last time we played them in 2012 um so I don't I, I find that like, there's there is a weird sort of argument between us but for me I actually far like you say hate obviously it's it's in in um with, with context of like, yeah, yeah, Birmingham yeah. City, Blues, I cannot stand Blues, <laughs> honestly. There's something about them. It's just, I think it's, it's, the reason for this is linked to something I'm going to discuss in a minute. But mm. yeah, it's, I just think they're such a useless club. I just, they, I don't know, they're just, Villa are the far mm. superior Birmingham side. Like, yeah, and that's yeah. coming from a Wolves fan. And, and I don't necessarily have, I, I have, Wolves have a rivalry with Villa, but it's really not one. Villa hate West Brom and Blues. We hate West Brom and Blues. And Wolves and Villa have a bit, they, we have now got a bit of rivalry because we're the two in the Premier League. So there is mm. a bit there, but historically, we're the, sort of the two most, um, shall we say, historically successful clubs. So we're kind of slightly more comfortable than the upstarts who are always looking to challenge us. Um, mm. I'm aware if you ever speak to a West Brom fan or a Blues fan on this podcast, it might say something <laughs> different, but that's my Wolves opinion. Yeah, because I've been up to Birmingham um, quite a few times, actually. And I just always think in comparison to the other Midlands clubs, they're just a nothing club. I think yeah. Yeah, if yeah. you look at, you know, even when West Brom are in the championship, you know, they're nearly sort of selling out the stadium and stuff. Whereas, you know, Birmingham, nobody's there. Um, it's It's not a mm. great atmosphere. And I've always really enjoyed going up to... I mean, I've been to, yeah, all, all of them, actually. Um, and they're all good atmospheres, apart from Birmingham. I just, um, I just they feel like the smaller club, um, in a way. And um, it must be quite funny for you to, to hear about their fi- sort of financial woes and hiring Harry Redknapp. And oh, well, it's just been a bit of a circus there, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, they've, they've got quite a bad reputation, as proven by when Jack Grealish got punched in the uh, uh, <laughs> second <laughs> derby last year. It's pretty good evidence, that, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, they're not my favourite team, let's put it that way. Um, I Randomly, and I think I get this from my dad, and a lot of Wolves fans don't like Leeds either. Like, I think everyone hates okay. Leeds, but we have mm. a bit of history with Leeds. Um, it goes back to sort of like the 70s Don Revy's days. So it's quite old now. But mm. there's a, there, is a, there is a general thing about old Wolves fans of a certain age do not like Leeds. Um, I think it's kind of mutual mm. as well. But there's all allegations back in the day that they tried to... Uh, they tried to um, get us to throw a game so they could win the league, but then we beat them and Liverpool won the league in the 70s. And it was all a bit mm. out there. But I don't think anything was ever proven, but it was all, there is a real sort of like slight bitterness towards Leeds. So um, yeah, I'd say Blues, Leeds and West Brom. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, so what about going to football? Have you had some amusing experiences as being a fan, <laughs> either on a home trip or a away trip? I imagine, you know, your experiences following a, you know, a big club and a small club there must be some different stories you can share I mean there's a few worst almost amusing um worst for Wolves was weirdly watching us beat Gillingham 6-0 in 2002 you think that's great but with the context of what happened afterwards we beat them 6-0 at home battered them and and I remember saying to my dad um 
um, do you think we'll do it now? And he was like, I think we will. And then we proceeded to blow everything and throw away an 11-point lead to West Brom and end up in the playoffs and lose the playoffs uh, in the first round to Norwich. So that memory is slightly tainted. So <laughs> feeling great, but then realising what came next. Um, so that was a terrible one from, like I said, right back at my early days supporting Wolves. Also, I once missed, I watched, sat, watched us labour to a one-all draw with Stoke in 2005, mm. except I didn't see us have the one-all draw because I left, my dad made us leave for a family party five minutes before the end and I missed <laughs> our last-minute equaliser. The old family. Having, having watched... Yeah, yeah. Having watched 85 minutes of dross and even missed our goals, I was fuming at that. But amusing ones? Um, yeah, lots of amusing comedy moments. Mm. I think mm. um, from, from when you and me went to watch us uh, play Wolves, well, Wolves v Millwall in 2017, and it, it slightly yep. kicked off outside. I just remember some, like, some Millwall fans rocking a car that was trying to leave the car park for no apparent reason. And also, and also that, like, <laughs> some... <laughs> uh, some fat bald guy being pinned to the floor by a police officer with a boot on his head just like pinning him <laughs> to the floor that was that was it was quite <laughs> oh yeah but well, we when we left the ground because i remember that quite vividly because yeah it was quite funny i think the yeah. police like almost we were meant to go back to the Wolverhampton station i think and the police yep. um escort i think either they went the wrong way and then um, Millwall fans started crossing this dual carriageway, which I think is just outside the ground. Yeah. Um, and it was so funny. It's like I remember seeing this guy walk out into the road, dual carriageway, sixty miles an hour, and he just he just like yeah, slow down. <laughs> it's just like to this car driver sort of plumbing along. And anyway, and obviously, kind of this sea of Millwall supporters like just block this dual carriageway and like cross the road. Um, it yeah. was funny, and I remember that car incident as well because. What was quite funny about that, yeah. it, it was just, it was just this old this little this this like very innocent family with their wool shirts on in like a, uh, a like a, a five year old Vauxhall Corsa or something. And they're just booting yeah. the car and the look of horror on yeah. their faces. I don't, but why I find that so funny? But it's just like that loudest yeah, behaviour. Yeah. It was it? so it was it it was so gratuitous and pointless. I was like, this, what does this achieve? Like. And I just remember oh. the police, like I say, kicking off and just, just mm. like getting involved. And it's, it's only humorous because no one was hurt, clearly. Like if someone yeah, had been yeah, hurt, yeah. it kicked off more than it, than it really wouldn't be. But it was just so mm. gratuitous and pointless. I was like, why is this happening? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, yeah, I just flashbacks to the old days, but. Yeah, that, there's always an opportunity when you leave the ground. I think, especially as when you've lost as well, um, to cause a little bit of chaos. Um, and mm. you know, there's that kind of like pack mentality when you've got. I, I don't know, 15, probably less than that, probably a thousand or so Millwall supporters there against, you know, 20, 25,000 Wolves fans are pouring out of the stadium. I've got an amusing story from the, from the non-league I just really wanted to put in here. So, <laughs> so basically, um, Kidderminster decided to play a new brand of football once we'd been relegated to the National League North. It was very much about being like... Basically, Agbra has an unbelievable pitch, best pitch in the league by a mile. It's a League Two standard stadium, and the pitch is incredible. Yeah. That's that's not me bigging it up; it's well known. But we decided that we wanted to play this possession-based game in the Conference North, which, unsurprisingly, we're still in the Conference North. So you could argue whether it's worked or not. Anyway, mm. our uh, our technical uh, sorry, our technical goalkeeper tried to take a short goal kick to a centre back stood out wide, and got mm. it so badly wrong he passed it out for a corner. <laughs> 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 I've never seen, seen it before. 
yeah. Was it, was yeah. it one of those side foot? Yeah, side foot, yeah. He went, so basically he put it down and like, say, if, say you're facing up the pitch, he mm. passed it with his right foot to the left-hand side and he just mm. massively hooked it and hooked it straight out for a corner. And I've never <laughs> seen a goalkeeper put a goal kick out for a corner. I, 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 no. Honestly, if my team, amateur football, did that, we'd be fuming. Oh, our old uni side, job sock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'd be fuming. So when a professional goalkeeper does that, we all the Kidderminster fans were hit in stitches. We're just crying our know. eyes out yeah, watching yeah, it. Yeah. Like it summed yeah. up. It for me that was a perfect image of trying to overplay football at that level. All these yeah, big yeah. physical sides were coming and battering us off the park, and we're mm. trying to pass it around, giving away corners from our own goal kicks. So mm. yeah, that for me was a great moment. That's one of the most. That's one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen in a football ground. <laughs> yeah, no, fantastic. Let's have a little quiz now, shall we, uh, Chris? So um, yeah. this is a weekly quiz that I've been doing with each of our, I was going to yeah. say contestants then, but probably that's probably uh, people that come on the show rather than an actual contestant themselves. <laughs> um, but I've prepared, yeah, a, a short quiz. Um, usually I give an option of two, but if, if I'm honest, I, I just sort of ran out of time to prepare today, Chris, so I've let you down there. <laughs> but I, I, have, I have prepared a short quiz on... Um, wolves kits so um there's uh, eight questions available but there is two questions which have two marks so uh, that takes you up to 10 so there's a little leaderboard going on now so will gain um typically got 10 out of 10 and matt got seven out of 10 so we'll see where you fall on that leaderboard following this so we'll start with question one name the two colors that wolves played in when they were founded as saint luke's in 1877 Red and white. It was actually blue and white was their first. Oh, no. They did play in red and white. They did play in red and white. I think it changed to red and white, but initially blue and white. But you got one mark for that. Um, Wolves adopted their famous black and gold kit in what year? Ooh. um, A bit of a gamble. That's like 80. Hang on. I think uh, 1890. It's a year out, 1891. Good guess, though. Oh, <laughs> Unlucky. I can't give any marks, mate, unfortunately. I don't no, write I these understand. questions. Well, I do. But, um... yeah, I was going to say, yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I don't make these rules. Well, who else does? Um, Wolves uh, had their first, spo- first ever sponsorship deal in 1982, where they were sponsored by which mm-hmm. Chinese electronics business? Oh, um... See, for me, Wolves is always famous for having Goodyear, the tyres, as our sponsor. It's something like Slaw sticks out in my mind. Um, uh, I, I, can, I can picture the shirt. I can, I'm going to do bit this quiz. I'll tell you, that, that's all right. <laughs> this is actually significantly harder than my last two quizzes. I'm sorry, sorry about that. Um, Tatung, were they called? Tatung? Anyway, we'll try. There are a few easier ones now. So between 02 and 04, which type of crisps were Wolves sponsored by? <laughs> Doritos. Good times. <laughs> um, yeah, great times. Yeah, you've already answered this question. Um, which business oh. sponsored Wolves for over ten years <laughs> prior uh, to that? Yeah. Goodyear tires. Classic. Correct, correct, correct. Wolves changed their kit manufacturer from what to what for the eighteen nineteen season. I thought you meant like the season in eighteen nineteen. I was like, no, 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 no,
we had, I believe it was Puma in the championship and then we got a new Adidas kit. That's in the correct. Two marks there. Yeah. Wolves' current third kit is which colour? Green. It's Mexico. Mm, I'll accept green. Yep, yep. Oh, I'll accept green because that's correct. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to replace Jeremy Clarkson on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Worse. I was thinking. Worse. I was hoping you'd accept. I was hoping you'd accept the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, and then finally. I wonder if you've heard of this anyway. In May 2019, Peter Davies was involved in a legal case with Wolves about what? I remember this. The logo. He said he designed the, the wolf head logo. Yeah. This was a mental story that I just came across. Yeah, he claimed he entered the design of the Wolves logo as part of an art competition in the 1960s, um, which he sent <laughs> into like the local newspaper or something. Um, but I struggled to see how... like. That I don't know. I think the newspaper ran the actual competition, so it was nothing to do with the football club. But sadly for Peter, he lost the case and now faces fees and costs of 450 grand. <laughs> I mean, how has he spent I mean, that? <laughs> yeah. um, well, I guess he's chanced it, thinking he'll get some trademarks on a global piece of branding and it's just gone horribly wrong. Um, yeah, yeah, I suppose yeah, it, was, it is. Well, Chris, yeah. you got seven as well, so well done. So you are joint last, okay, I but I think seven's a respectable <laughs> score. Uh, but it, it's, again, like with this table, it's sort of like some quizzes are a little bit harder than others. I think that was a bit trickier than perhaps um, Matt's and Will's. So um, I'll put you above Matt, so you can be second for now. Uh, let's move on to the show, the show piece of this podcast. It is the now world famous Worst Eleven. So you're going to do Wolves. Um, I think Kidderminster, yeah, might be slightly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it just yeah, he, yeah. Ian Smith. He was 45 at the time. Played centre half. Yeah. Couldn't move. Most um, most Kidderminster fans wouldn't know the Kidderminster Worst Eleven if I talked no, them through it. So let's be honest. I think we should probably stick to Wolves. Yeah. And you've gone for a 3-4-3 three, three formation. Any, any reason for that? Yes. Um, in honour of Nuno's fabled system, um, it served us so well recently. And I also think because it's such like a technical, like difficult system to play without training, the players who I've put in the system would be so hilariously bad at it that it really <laughs> would be the worst, the worst 11 of all time because they would not know what they were doing and it would just go horribly wrong. So, yeah, that's my thinking. Fantastic. Great. Well, let's start with your goalkeeper then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Considering, considering there's only been three episodes of this podcast so far, that um, for, <laughs> for this player, person to turn up twice is some going. So <laughs> Wayne Hennessy is my goalkeeper. Um, I know, obviously, our Palace fan hates him. Um, yeah. It said he's useless. And for me, it's because he was what Wolves fans consider to be a traitor when he refused to play away at Gillingham in League One when the transfer to, um, to uh, Palace was on the cards. Now, don't get me wrong, there's probably two sides to every story, but... It just the symbolism of it, like refuse. We lost away at Gillingham, even though we had a great season. It was one of our defeats in a cold January night in on the south coast, and he refused to play. And it was just symbolic of everything that went wrong and that sort of that the nature of that squad that we that we were were trying to root out at the time. Mm. So yeah, Hennessy's my goalkeeper, and he made 152 league appearances, mm-hmm. um, and also mm-hmm. kind of half came through the Wolves team. I think they got him from Man City's youth team. Um, so there's a lot of league appearances, but obviously 
you know, he appeared, you have in a side which managed to get back to back relegations to League One. So you can maybe understand why he's in, in that 11. Certainly makes sense. Yeah. Um, there. Um, so what would you like to do next? Either your wing backs or centre, centre backs? Let's do, let's do the back three. We'll do the back three and then right. I'll, I'll treat the wing backs because they're so good as part of the midfield. <laughs> All right, cool. Okay. So your, your first so, centre half? So my first centre half would be the one and only Roger Johnson. Um, mm. No one can forget how he turned up to training half cut in the midst of a relegation <laughs> battle in 2012. Um, yeah, it was, we, we'd lost 5-0 away at Fulham um on the sunday and then on monday everyone was reporting back for training he'd obviously had a big night um following the game or was drowning his sorrows and turned up like just like i say uh half cut is a nice way of putting it um and yeah it's just for me it was a, it was a mick mccarthy signing he he signed him in our third season of after getting promoted back in 2009 so this would be in 2011 he signed him made him captain straight away stripping carl henry which split the mm. dressing room badly um, and he just underperformed. He was part of a great partnership with Scott Dan at Blues. Um, but without Dan alongside him and in, our, in this Wolves side, he just did not perform at uh, the level that was obviously hoped for. Yeah, mm. got found out massively and it didn't go well at all. And I think it says a lot that once Mick got sacked, Johnson came out and said the players had let the manager down. We'll have a look in the mirror, mate. Um, and then Terry yeah, Connor yeah, dropped yeah. him from the side, so which yeah, is quite strange. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Seeing as seeing as Terry was very much Mick's right hand man as well, for 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 clearly they had a disagreement of of, of him. Um, but um, yeah, Roger Johnson, he I believe retired last season playing in the conference for Bromley. Um, he's currently 36, so was recently still playing. I think he's from the southeast, so that makes sense. He is, he, yeah. Kind of came back down. Cool. We'll move on to your next centre back. Uh, the well-known Georg Margreiter from Austria <laughs> uh, signed in 2013 when we were back in the championship, barely played, and spent the season slating his teammates online for being prima donnas with no passion, uh, which didn't go down very well. Again, but symbolic of that wonderful dressing room we had. Where was that on Twitter, or what? What was he just slack like, no, mentioning them and going, "Yeah, you flash prick" or something? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, he, um, he, he wrote blogs. He wrote blogs. Um, oh, did he? I think I, I can't. I can't. I don't know if in, I can't remember if they were in English or German. But he used to. He was writing on websites and commenting on things, and yeah, it got found out, and it didn't go down very well. When uh, you're like, he was. Mm. He was obviously disillusioned at not playing and seeing people who he thought had the wrong attitude playing ahead of him, but. Yeah, it's uh, it was not the right thing to do to go public mm. like that when no one really knows who you are anyway. That's not the right way to make a name for yourself. Um, yeah. He plays in the I think he plays in the Bundesliga now or like the second German division for Nuremberg. Yeah, last time I heard he does, him. he does. Yeah, wow. he still does. Thirty-one years old. Yeah, playing in Nuremberg. I think Kenny Jacket shipped him out in the end. Um, Good, super Kenny. Um, yeah. Move on to your next centre back. Um, another mention for. <laughs> Yeah, the world famous Oleg Luzhny, uh, <laughs> a ridiculous 03-04 signing who, uh, who barely played on a free from Arsenal. He was a sort of like a non-mobile right back who was almost tucked in as a third centre back. Who played like six, made six appearances, most of them off the bench, did nothing, and it was just like he was touted as this big, um, this big signing for his Premier League experience and. He just did nothing. It was just, it was, I just mm. remember it at the time thinking, oh, yes, we've signed an Arsenal player. From bear in mind, Arsenal, had, this was ahead of their invincible season. He was with us for the Arsenal invincible season. 
But he yeah. was just off, obviously coming out from a really good side. So everyone's thinking, great, Premier League experience, um, brilliant. But yeah, it was the, the less fact, said about the less said about that, the yeah. better, shall we say? Sometimes when a player arrives on a free, <laughs> yeah. you know, that says a lot. But yeah. I mean, yeah. there's been yeah three teams on this podcast, and who who'd have ever thought Oleg Luzhny would be in two when I started doing this? <laughs> you know what but, I think would be hilarious yeah. is if one day get him on the podcast, see if he's willing to come and contribute to the podcast because we could just you could just have an interview <laughs> about him, like and like you'd just own the fact that he's been in our worst eleven and just be like talk to us about your career <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly or i do an interview with like a torpedo lutsk fan who is previously played for in, U- in ukraine who, who actually might like oleg um uh, but as maynard said sure he's a solid <laughs> solid bloke and all that but yeah he was most recently assistant manager at dynamo kiev um always a backup old oleg isn't he um yeah okay fantastic well that's your center backs um perhaps your left wing back next um Paige? yeah so our left wing back is actually very recent his name's phil afusu aye um it's not really his own fault that he's in this team because he was signed by nuno um as soon as he arrived as like a as a, one of his wing backs to, so that he has a very specific style of wing back that he requires and he's he spotted him in germany but he didn't make a single appearance for Wolves due to injury and has just been released at the end of his three-year deal. Um, I think what marks it out for me is that despite not making a single appearance in 2017-18, he still turned up, did a full John Terry in full kit to collect a championship winner's medal. So that for me is... uh, He probably would be one of the best players in this team, uh, but who Mm -hmm. knows because we never saw him play. So, um, like I say, his reputation preceded him. I think he's he had a loan back to Germany to get some fitness, and I think he's, Mm. um, I think he's been. I don't know where he's gone now. He's just been released free agent. Well, according, yeah, according to what I mean, he's only twenty eight. Is currently a free agent. Um, I'd never heard this team. Wurzburger Kickers. I just thought that was such a fantastic name. They're in the Bundesliga too. I'd never heard. I just think it's fantastic. It's like, yeah, very, uh, very interesting name. But yeah, he went on loan there, I think, from Wolves and obviously, um, yeah, yeah, got released. What what possesses players to do that with the, you know, going in the full kit? I just, I just think to yourself, especially, you know, not, not making an excuse for Terry because obviously he is an absolute pillock, but at least he sort of played a bit and stuff. Um, Yeah. Obviously had an injury. This guy never even played. Like I would feel him wouldn't you feel embarrassed to do that? Do you know what I mean? I think so. I think I think um, I think maybe they're told to. I think so. It's not to ruin yeah. uh, a club photo potentially if you have the squad all there. Um, I think they're probably told to. But yeah, I think he probably was slightly embarrassed if you turn up and get um, collect a medal. Like, don't get me wrong, you're part of the squad, but. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a, it's an odd one. It's one of those weird things that ha- happens in football. I, I've just actually thought of something that I've actually done that <laughs> once upon a time. <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> you must know what's coming. Well, we we we, oh, yeah. we both we both played in a football tournament. One of our friends kind of plays oh, yeah. it in, a, in it annually, and it puts a team together. And uh, and the, our team, I think we had eight, seven or eight players. But I think I only played one and a half games because. Uh, I wasn't in the best shape at the time. And obviously we won and um, I still got a medal, of course, and obviously had a picture taken with the team. I remember someone, some of the other teams walked past. You go, he just goes like, he didn't play. <laughs> shout, shout, out to, shout out to Wendover and Western Turville. Uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely bit of the country. What a tournament. It, it oh, was, yeah, that was yeah. brilliant. I, I've I still know. got that picture uh, nicely saved. That was a great day. And I, 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 to be fair... Mm. 
to be fair, you, did, you might not have played in the knockout rounds, but you did, you did make a, a, a squad appearance in a, in a dead mm. rubber in the group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which I think we then went on to lose. But um, I've, four I've nil. obviously. <laughs> yeah, 4 0. Yeah. I've still got the medal. <laughs> still yeah, got yeah, it. yeah. Good. <laughs> Good. So do I. Anywhere. Yeah, there you go. Fantastic. Um, and then, should we do your central midfielders next before your right yeah. wing back? So, the first one of those? So, my central midfielders actually played together. So, they formed an incredible partnership. And the first one is David Davis, who some Wolves fans might think I'm being a little bit harsh with this, but he was an academy graduate who did do quite well, despite obviously having his limitations. Um, but then he moved to Blues, and then he started to blot his copybook a little bit because he gave it large to Wolves every time he played, sort of like, co- like goading fans online like celebrating in front of them, uh, like when somehow we managed to lose to Blues a few times. So yeah, hated by all. And like mm-hmm. I say, it's, um, for me, it's symbolic of our academy now in the quality it's producing compared to what it once produced. Um, and the way like English football education is changing to like, so much be much more technical. Um, so yeah, he, he, like you say, didn't make a good name for himself with fans. Um, I think he's made his piece now. And like, again, it's all part of the banter, but, it just, it just as a speaking of a central midfielder who stuck in my mind, who potentially could have contributed more than they did. We've had a few over the years. Like I remember Emmanuel Frimpong's playing for us, um, yeah. and people like that. But um, yeah, David Davis would be my first pick in centre midfield. Yeah, fair enough. And he's age twenty nine on loan at Charlton at the moment from Birmingham. And actually, something that Lee Bowyer said this week: he's one of three Charlton players refusing to play when football restarts. Mm-hmm. which um, I'm not sure why he has his mm-hmm. case for that. But um, yeah, I thought that was either an, an attitude issue or perhaps some, some concerns about safety. I don't know. But um, I thought it was quite an interesting thing to read about him this week. Um, but anyway, we digress. So, and then another <laughs> central midfielder here, <laughs> which is a great pick. Oh, um, the one and only Jamie O'Hara, um, a clear symbol of our double relegation. 2011 to 13. Um, he is part of Kenny Jacket's bomb squad eventually and um, obviously hated by Wolves fans for his part in that and just relations with the fans and like jeering them and, and just not seen to be contributing what he should have been. Like he was signed, he was signed for five mil from Spurs, I think. Um, he had a successful loan period with us, including a, a brilliant goal away at West Brom in, in a, a, a Black Country derby. It was steadily downhill from there. And um, the, the fact that he was part of Jacket's bomb squad says it all. His attitude wasn't right. He was on a huge wage. And really, that side that we had should have been, like, especially the championship, should have been contributing um, or con- competing, sorry, a lot higher up the league than it was, let alone getting relegated. Um, yeah. And people like O'Hara and Johnson are symbols of that. Do you want to quickly, briefly explain to the listeners who may not have heard of this bomb squad that Kenny Jacket did? Because I remember it yeah. was quite big new. I mean, I followed Kenny Jacket's career obviously closely after you know he was in charge of Millwall for so long, and this was yeah very um, symbolic of Kenny's no egos um, stance. But yeah, explain a little bit about what this bomb squad was. So Kenny Jacket joined Wolves in the summer of 2013. He, I think, he rejected a new contract at Millwall. Um, and came to us, dropped down from the championship to League One to manage, obviously, rebuild the Wolves project, which, and I'm so grateful he did, because in my eyes, he's a club legend, where he took us out of a really, really dark place. Um, and his, his first thing he did was realise that the club was massively disconnected from our fans. 
if you'd seen some of the scenes away um, at Brighton and at home to Burnley at the end of the championship season in 2012-13, it was, it was quite, quite ugly. Pitch invasions, the last five minutes of the Burnley game involved fans like going onto the pitch to protest under the Billy White where the board was sat. It was, oh, it was awful. The jacket quickly realised this and that players were part of that. So built what he called the bomb squad, which was a number of players who were still with us from the Premier League days and on Premier League wages. Um, who he decided were bad for the squad harmony and the culture. So it was it was O'Hara, um, Roger Johnson, it was Kevin Doyle, I think was part of it, and Kev Foley. Mm. Um, and he, he, like I say, he, he chucked them all into train separately. The first team would train, and then they would come in and train separately on their own. They were all on Premier League wages, but for me, it was a, like in League One. But for me, it was a big move and a bold move to have sort of 50, 60 grand a week's worth of wages sat rotting in the reserves because he could see yeah. the bad for culture. And the proof is in the pudding because we roared to the League One title, but squad harmony and fan connection was at an all-time high. And he obviously realised that these toxic um, attitudes and personalities were killing the club. And he did, the, what he, he did what he thought was right. And it was a huge call and one he got right. And it's why I'm forever grateful for what he did because he made a lot, of, a lot of calls. And we wouldn't be where we were now if it wasn't for things that Jacket did, like the bomb squad. Um, mm. the psychology of it is very interesting like how these players yeah. were basically shunned by the club made to train on their own basically told they were surplus to requirements and a lot of them couldn't get other deals because uh, they, their wages were too high so they couldn't go anywhere yeah. and they were also a lot of like putting them in the bomb squad um, essentially made other clubs worry that they'd be like a bad egg in their Trouble squad so they were yeah. yeah they were essentially stuck so it was, but it was bold by Jacket and also Steve Morgan to allow him to pay those wages and not play them. Um, mm. But look what playing them had got had done. It got us a double relegation, so you can't really do any work. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, and, and I think there was a time with O'Hara because I think they, nobody wanted him for four months, and then I think they gave him a, a slight another chance, but then he uh, mm-hmm. didn't take that up and then has left. But he um, a bit too big for his boots, Jamie O'Hara, and and anyone that appears on Celebrity Big Brother. Um, you know, still yeah. during their football career shows you the sort of uh, character he is. Um, age 33 and currently plays at Billericay Town. So um, he's had a big yeah, fall from uh, he grace was a big from having to the Tottenham. Uh, yeah, Billericay. <laughs> yeah, big fall from grace from his Spurs days, that's for sure. Um, now <laughs> we're going to have another good conversation about this player next. Um, your right wing back. <laughs> at <laughs> well, wing back. So... Yeah, yeah. Wing back is is ironic because he'd be a horrendous wing back. The one and only Kevin Muscat. Muzzy. Um, oh, Millwall fame as well. And like for me, he's the most Millwall player I can imagine. I'm sorry, like I, I can imagine going to Millwall on a cold Tuesday night and facing Kevin Muscat. And for me, I oh god, I just I'm ashamed <laughs> that he ever donned the old gold and black for Wolves because he cost us promotion in two thousand two getting a straight red card for violent conduct away at Grimsby of all places. We, it was, we, we were starting to have a little wobble and we, well, Grimsby were sort of bottom of the league. We went away, lost 1-0 with 10 men for most of the game because he decided to elbow someone pointlessly. And that for me sums him up. He, he just he cannot control himself. Yeah, you, mm. you can YouTube countless compilations of bad tackles. There's an especially bad one from Australia's A-League when he went back home. Um, ending someone's career or basically do it. And it's just, yeah. for me, like he symbolizes everything that's wrong about, about football and like sort of anyone with talent was a target to be chopped. Now there's a difference between like 
like maybe being a little bit physical and sort of mm. trying to limit the weight, uh, break up the play. And then there's just genuinely going out to hurt people. And for me, that was his, that was his motive. Like you can just see his reactions to getting red cards. He'd charge off the pitch, not mm. be remorseful. And yeah, I, I just, for me, he, he's generally one of the worst attitudes. He wasn't a bad player. He was solid. Mm. He, he would, he could pass, he could tackle. But in terms of the atmosphere and the, like what he epitomizes it just for me, mm. one of the worst Wolves right backs we ever had. I mean, let's not forget, he played a lot for Wolves, 180 league appearances. So, you know, clearly yep. uh, a, a long period yep. of time, certainly. I'm unsure of how successful the team were during those years, though. Um, were they so, so championship so what mid-table? Years, what, years, what years was he there with? Can you remember? Um, no, well, he obviously he must have been there in 2002, as that cost you promotion. Yeah. But he must have been a successful yeah. team. No, I think he was there for about four or five seasons. So, so it, would have been, it would have been late 90s, early 2000s mm. when we did nothing yes. and we, we, we failed to achieve. So that, that mm. also speaks volumes. Like the, the season after he left, we did go up. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. That's when yeah. he joined Millwall, so, although he was... Yeah, part of a team that nearly got promoted for, for, for playing for Millwall and obviously a team that got to the mm. FA Cup final. But sadly, M- Muscat actually got injured and um, didn't play in the final. But um, but yeah, he's now... Uh, well, yeah, but he was a bit of a fan favourite at Millwall, I think. Um, you're right, you know, there, there's two sides to every story with old Muzzy in there. But I think, I, think, I, think, I think it's entertainment, if anything. But actually, if you think... Yeah, literally what he's doing, <laughs> two-footing and potentially ending people's careers. I think there is, mm. yeah, there is obviously quite a sour note there. But th- th- we love a maverick. Well, I do anyway of football. <laughs> and, um, you know, just, yeah, just someone who's a bit of an enigma and is 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 absolutely yeah. bar- barmy, to be honest with me. But, um, yeah, he's um, most recently manager at Melbourne Victory. Um, he moved, went back to Australia after playing at Rangers and Millwall. Um, and, um, yeah, so he resigns, resides in the Australian sun. Um, oh, but anyway, um, you've got a front three here. So do you want to mm. start with maybe your right, right, right-sided? Yeah, so in true Wolves style, right forward, left forward, and then centre forward. Um, this right forward is the lesser-known Razak Bukhari, who, mm. by all accounts, was not a bad player. I've genuinely never seen someone so badly affected by injuries. He was signed from, a, I think, I can't remember where it was in France, in, two, in July 2012, just after we'd come out of the Prem. And he managed to string a few games till September, so six appearances till September. Then he mm. got a calf strain at home to Sheffield Wednesday, because I remember watching the game, and he went off. And then that was the last time he was ever seen in a wool shirt. Like, the calf strain was suddenly way worse than Platt expected, and he... He was out for the rest of the season. The next season, he went on loan to France and had more issues, only like, like 10 appearances. Mm. Then he came back to Wolves for his third season, tore his hamstring, got groin and calf strains. And then yeah. once he was fit again by late March, he couldn't get back in the side. And mm. then to cap it all off in his fourth and final season, he's getting ready in preseason. Jackets using him in, in preseason friendlies and, and seems quite positive. He's in the reserves ruptures his patella tendon, landing mm. awkwardly, and 10, 12 months out, and that's it. Released in 2016 at the end of his contract, four years after his first, like his last appearance, sorry, his first and last appearances for Wolves. Um, and yeah, I, I, again, it's not his fault that he's in the worst 11. It's by no means because he was, yeah. yeah. Not I, I don't think I, but. yeah, I, I don't think I've ever heard someone as unlucky as that, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Someone always yeah. out with injury. Yeah, Razak's sick, yeah. Nate Bukhari. Um, but yeah, yeah. Jack, Jack, <laughs> yeah. But, um, Jacket also released him 
I believe. And now he's mm. age 33 playing for um, Chateau in Ligue 2. Um, and it looks like he's making a few appearances, but I imagine it's a little bit Good. slower, less pressure uh, for the lad. Um, <laughs> moving on to your left-sided forward. Left side. So a little bit of a shoehorn into this position because he's not known as an out-and-out winger, but it would be well-known Thomas Frankowski or Frankowski, however you want to pronounce it. Um, a big money signing by Glenn Hoddle in January 2006. I remember watching his debut where he missed a sitter. Um, <laughs> and yeah, he played 16 times for Wolves, scoring no goals and managed to play himself out of Poland's 2006 World Cup squad. Despite being their top scorer in qualifying, he was so poor that the manager said he couldn't justify his selection. So, <laughs> he, yeah, half a season with Wolves cost him a World Cup, and I think that was very fitting for the Wolves team of that time. Um, mm. Yeah, poor bloke. I'd ne- yeah, I'd that. never heard of him, of him, but I did do some research. So I don't know if you remember what Wolves fans nicknamed him, but they nicknamed him <laughs> the, the pole without a goal. Which I thought was quite <laughs> quite good. <laughs> well done, the old yam yam humour there. Um, yeah, but he, yeah. I think he, he went on a little jolly, jolly to Tenerife um, whilst he was on uh, playing for Wolves and scored three in nineteen. So uh, still hardly prolific, prolific, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Finished his career back in Poland, but weirdly, and I found doing this looking at some some players kind of future careers or what they're up to now is just these strange things. I mean, you might remember from the last show, Jimmy Kebe being a professional mm. poker player. Um, Thomas Frankowski has moved into politics um, and he's a member <laughs> of, yeah, he's a member of civic platform, which is a politi- Polish political party. And he's some sort of MEP or advisor to the European government for Poland. That's from what I understood. So, <laughs> Yeah, just wow. weird. It's just mental, isn't it? Just how yeah. how does that how does that even happen? Um, uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, that's, that's very odd. And you've had a little bit of debating, haven't you, over your yeah. centre forward position? So there's certainly an honourable mention as well uh, here. So I was torn. Like, my first thought, I was thinking Leon Clark because he's been good for Sheffield United. I think he still plays in the Premier League for them, but he was he wasn't brilliant for us. And I remember him shushing the Wolves fans after scoring, which didn't go mm. down very well. But I've gone, I've gone, my final selection will go to the one and only, again, another, I think he, he did play for Millwall, wasn't he? A Millwall link. Twice. Um, yeah. Oh, brilliant. Wow. The one and only Stefan Meyerhofer, um, <laughs> who, who, I think he was six foot seven and yeah. signed by McCarthy as like a sort of a bit, mix it up a little bit, play, pump it long into the box and see what happens kind of player. But I just remember, like, you think, oh, this classy foreign import. And he was, he was so gangly. Like, the ball would come to him and he'd miss it or he'd, he'd, he'd go, for, he'd miss headers, which is like he's on the pitch to win headers. And you're just thinking, oh, I don't think this is going to work out. So I think, we gave, I, I think we gave him, like, a four-year deal as well, which is laughable. Unbelievable. Well, I looked at his career yeah. stats um, to remind me of how bad he was because he scored like I think twenty-five goals in one season for Rapid Vienna, which I think then stemmed <laughs> McCarthy to pay one point eight million. I mean, I know in the grand scheme of footballers, you know that actually isn't a lot, but if you just think of that in pure life terms, one point eight million is a hell of a lot of money for Stefan Meyerhofer and. Um, I mean, I've got some terrible memories of him. I mean, what was strange was he, I think, signed from some team in Austria. He was in his early 30s for Millwall. And um, 
played like 11 games, scored one goal. But yeah, you're right. He couldn't trap the ball. It, it, it just didn't look natural, him being on a football pitch, especially at that size. Um, he, he, it was just wrong. And there's actually a funny YouTube video which some Austrians created called the um, Best of Stefan Meyerhofer, which is obviously a, a really a worst of. And it's crazy. You must watch that when you get a chance that how actually how bad he was. And what was funny, so he got released. Everyone was relieved. And then Ian Holloway re-signed him a year later. <laughs> just sitting there thinking, it was just ridiculous. Um, yeah, and actually briefly another funny story about him because he's, I think he scored one goal on his return to Millwall. And Ian Holloway, or the, the flat that Millwall put him up in like needed a new sofa or something so he said to Ian Holloway when I get my first goal uh, you need to buy me a new sofa so I think the ball came in and he was literally on the line and it hit his thigh and went in and claimed it was his he ran over to the bench and then just sit, sat in the bench <laughs> and obviously all the fans were going what this guy is absolutely off his nut and then it was revealed afterwards like Ian Holloway yeah. just going I owe him a new bloody soul for an hour. I was like, <laughs> brilliant. Um, yeah, he's a little weird. I think player. he. Played, I think he played for the Austrian national side. I think he's yeah. an international, which, which, mm. is astounding. I, mm. I, I, it makes me think I could play international football if I could find some Austrian heritage somewhere. Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, he's been all around yeah. a bit, hasn't he? Um, I think he he's still playing, age thirty-seven for Austrian side, first division, WSG Swarovski Tyrol, and um, oh, somehow still playing. I mean, one of those players where you just think, "How are you a professional footballer?" Um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 an, an apt player to end on. Um, but you've obviously, and, uh, who would you select your manager? And, and I, I see you've kind of picked an assistant manager as well. So, was this a tough choice, or, or was this your one and two worst Wolves managers? Um, for me, it's not really a tough choice. Like, I think, I think I, the reason I wanted an assistant is just to like show the number of bad managers that we've had. But my choice for manager is Dean Saunders. Um, with an honourable mention with, for Walter Zenger as assistant. Um, Saunders took us down to League One in 2013. We had, we had Stoller Solbakken brought in from Copenhagen um, at the start of the championship return, who was okay. His low point was losing away at Luton in the FA Cup when they were in the conference. So we were a championship side losing to a conference side 1-0. But he was sacked after that despite us being mid-table and winning a few, losing a few. And then Saunders came in, having he guided Doncaster to the top of uh, League One at the time. So they thought, right, well, he's going to be great. And he was so clearly out of his depth, like baffling signings, tactical decisions that, tactical decisions that were incredible. And like press conferences that were like some of his quotes, he said, when you're scoring, you've got the eye of the tiger, whatever that means. <laughs> and I remember, him, I remember him, like he was talking about how club, how sort of, um, the squad harmony was. Um, bear in mind, this is this is like a very, clearly an out of depth, out of his depth manager trying to manage what was to become the bomb squad, like players at each other's throats, mm-hmm. falling out with each other, the fans hating it. And he said they've looked at our squad and thought they'll get out of it, and that's what I'm thinking. And we promptly didn't get out of it, and mainly because of him. So some random quotes and like he was trying to be a motivator by saying I think we'll get out of it and without putting a plan together to do that and it just it all came crashing down um Zenga gets a mention because I think he was like it was so I was so sad when Jacket got moved on um and replaced by basically someone who no one had ever heard of 
as, as a manager who probably brought us to near relegation in Foson's first season in charge. So, yeah, he would be the assistant. That would be an incredible duo. I'd love to see what those two would do with players like Muscat and, uh, <laughs> and Roger Johnson. <laughs> how they'd motivate that lot. To be fair, though, D- Dean Saunders did manage O'Hara, um, Hennessy and Johnson. That's the weird mm. thing. Mm. Um, there you so, go. But that yeah. was clearly that that sort of, yeah, that side clearly was your worst, you know, being relegated twice oh, yeah. down to League One. Oh, yeah. um, Saunders, he's a funny guy. I mean, he's he's obviously kind of out of management now. It's the thinks for the best chatting shit on Talk Sport, which you can hear him <laughs> <laughs> doing that regularly. Uh, I don't know what Zenga's up to, but I remember, like, he's got a very weird career, hasn't he? He's, he's managed so mm. many clubs and just for years spells. And, like, I think he mm. joined from maybe the United Arab Emirates or somewhere in that corner of the world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're right, to go from Kenny Jacket. But I think that was when you had some new owners came in and they wanted to bring in their... Mm-hmm their man so to speak um again it was an odd yeah wasn't it yeah that, that's exactly what it was it was Foson's first foray into football mm. and they thought they knew better and it turns out they didn't and they've, they've got some better guidance when they brought Nuno in um, mm. but the first season everyone a lot of people forget with how good Wolves have been recently in our promotion season first season under Foson the Chinese owners in 2017-18 was a car crash we nearly mm. went back down to league one as I said to you the other day I remember watching us away at Reading in March 2017 Cody looking hopeless in centre midfield. George Savile at left back. Yeah. Um, this was under Paul. This is under Paul Lambert by this point. But we lost, and we were like a point above relegation in March 2017. And I'm thinking, we've just got new owners, and it's getting worse than ever. What's going on? Mm. We fortunately pulled out, like pulled it out the bag, and knew a Dicko went on a scoring run, and we won five on the bounce to finish 15th. But there was a genuine concern that we were going to get relegated in Foson's first season, which would have been, oh yeah. well, we wouldn't be where we were now. We wouldn't have had Nuno and where we are now. So. Mm. Yeah. Well, fantastic. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining, Chris. Yeah. Great conversation as I knew it would be and a real nice mixture of um, good memories from supporting a a non-league club and also a Premier League side and another shocking worst 11, uh, the return of Oleg Luzhny, uh, which is now becoming a highlight. Uh, We'll see if he comes back. But um, but yeah, thanks for listening as well. Um, Yeah, we're available on Spotify, uh, iTunes and also Acast. Um, You can follow us on at yourself pod. Uh, Also, feel free to get in touch with us over email. Any football related stories um, are welcome. Um, I will read them out. Uh, it's call yourself a fan podcast at gmail.com uh, please subscribe if you haven't already as well um, and next week um, I've just lined up a guest It's going to be talking to Don Bailey um, about his time supporting Chelsea so that will be uh, another good show so make sure you tune into that um, but thanks again Chris thanks, thanks Mike. thank you for Great listening to you. thank you all